And I'm going to teach you a story, a couple of stories from the Old Testament. Maybe familiar to you, may not be. So um, 2 Kings 20 is where we're going to start with a king named Hezekiah. And uh, we're, we're going to call this, this particular message Good to Bad and Bad to Good. Good to Bad and Bad to Good. It's the story of Hezekiah and Manasseh. And it really asks this question. It, it brings this question to light as you're listening uh, today. How are you doing with the chances God gives you? How are you doing? Uh, how are you using your second chances? How are you doing with your chances? In 2 Kings 20, we meet a great king of Israel. You know, there are good kings and bad kings all through the Old Testament. Um, some of them were great and some of them were really bad. And uh, in 2 Kings 20, we meet Hezekiah. Verse 1 says, 2 Kings 20, verse 1, About that time, Hezekiah became uh, deathly ill. Now, let me just give you the history of Hezekiah first. I don't have time to read you the whole uh, story from uh, in Second Chronicles 29 and 30 and all that. But Hezekiah had, uh, was a great king of Israel, and he, he actually restored the worship to Israel. Israel had started worshiping foreign gods and uh, built uh, idols all over the town and, and all through the city and all on the, the hillsides around the city. They built these idols and uh, were sacrificing the foreign gods. And when Hezekiah became king at a real young age, he changed all of that, and he... Uh, instituted a whole lot of uh, true worship from God. And he went back and got the, the book of the law. They found the book of the law. is a great part of the story where he goes, hey, one of, one of the priests comes and goes, hey, look, we found the book of the law, you know, which is what Israel is supposed to be basing their every move on. It's like it was lost. And they were like, hey, look what we found. And so he said, hey, we're going to apply this. And so they start going through every little step that they're supposed to um, to get everything right. And Hezekiah was the leader of all that. And he pulled all the right people together. And eventually they get into the temple to do a sacrifice. And they realize, you know what? We don't even have enough consecrated priests. When you read the law, you've got to consecrate the priests. We don't have enough consecrated priests. Um, but then a bunch of the Levites who helped serve the priests were consecrated. And so Hezekiah said, you know, I think, and it's just a leadership moment where he says, you know, I think what we'll do is let the Levites help the priests do all the sacrifices. Thousands and thousands of lambs and bulls need to be sacrificed, and it takes a lot of people to do that. And so he kind of worked all that out, and it actually says several times in the story of Hezekiah, it says, and God was well pleased. God was well pleased. God was like, good job, Hezekiah, you're doing great with it. Thanks for coming back to the core stuff you're supposed to and sacrificing and worship like you're supposed to. So he's this great king. He actually amassed an enormous amount of wealth for Israel. The people of Israel started bringing their storehouses and their first fruits to the temple and building it up, and they started, started, he started making sure the Levites and the priests had... Um, you know, some, some offerings off of that, so they had a way to sustain their self. And so it's like the economy and everything in Israel turned around because of Hezekiah and his leadership. So it was a great, great day. In 2 Kings 20, it says, About that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill. And the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to visit him. And he said to the, he said to the king this message. This is what the Lord says. This is, a, this is not the visit you want from a prophet. Set your affairs in order, for you're going to die. You will not recover from this illness. Wow. There's a wake-up moment for any of us, right? Set your affairs in order. You're about to die. You're not going to recover from this illness. When Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall, and he prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have always been faithful to you, and I have served you single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. And there is a history of God actually saying to Hezekiah, this pleased the Lord. This pleased the Lord. Then he broke down and he wept bitterly 
but before Isaiah had left the middle of the courtyard, Isaiah's already told him the message and headed back out through the courtyard of the palace. Before he gets to the middle of the courtyard, God gives him a different message. Verse 4, Go back to Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Tell him, This is what the Lord, the God of your ancestors, David, says. I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you, and three days from now you will get out of bed and go to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life, and I will rescue you and... Uh, and this city and the king of Assyria, I will defend this uh, city of my own, for my own honor and for the sake of my servant David. Um, and so then they make an ointment of figs and apply it. And three days later, Hezekiah gets up. And then there's this cool story where Hezekiah goes, well, how do I know all that's going to be true? And he goes, well, when you go to the temple, um, you want your, you know, do you want your shadow to go forward or backward according to the sundial? And Hezekiah says, well, you know, forward would be real easy for God. That would just be speeding up time. How about making backup time? And, and he does. God makes his shadow go the wrong way on the sundial uh, to, to prove to Hezekiah um, that he has done these great things and made these promises. So there's this magnificent uh, miracle in Hezekiah's life where he was at the point of death and then he prays to God. Now, just lesson one's real simple, but it's something you can tell everybody you know. God hears the prayers of those who are humble and need second chances. God does always hear the prayers of the humble and those who need second chances. And uh, I put a bunch of psalms. They're not going to show up here because I printed them in your notes for you just because there's such a powerful little run of verses that you can look this up. God hears our prayers. Please don't ever forget that. And you've got to register that in your head. You can tell your friends. You can make all these promises to them. Psalm 6, verse 9. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. Psalm 28, verse 6. Praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. Um, I, boy, this one's amazing. Psalm 31, 22. In my alarm, I said, I am cut off from your sight. Now listen to what he's saying. I'm cut off from your sight, yet you heard my cry for mercy. <laughs> Psalmist is saying, even when I don't think you can see me, even when I don't feel like there's any connection and you're paying attention at all to me, uh, when I call for help, even when you can't see me, you have mercy on me. God hears and answers our prayers. Psalm 40, verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. If you interpret that literally from the Hebrew, it's I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited. That's why we put the, the English word patiently in there. It's the, the Hebrew actually says, I waited, and waited, and waited, and waited, and waited some more, and I waited for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry. Psalm 116, verse 1. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice, and he heard my cry for mercy. God hears our prayers, and he knows our needs. That's very important. So if you go to Matthew 6, I think I put that one in your notes as well. Um, Matthew's where God, God says, you don't need to worry about the you know, what you shall eat or what you shall drink. Your Father knows your needs. Your Father in heaven knows your needs. And He hears your prayers. Now, by the way, you don't always know your needs. Um, you know what you think you need. You know, you definitely, we definitely know what we want. But sometimes we even know what we think we need. And God says, no, I've got this sorted out in a way. I know your needs and I will be leading you in the right direction. You just have to follow me. Um, he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. And so here's Hezekiah. Um, really, Isaiah comes in as a prophet of death angel, stands by his bed and goes, hey, 
this illness you have, not going to go well for you. You only got a few days. Get your affairs in order. Hezekiah turns his face to the wall and prays to a God he's been faithful to, and he gets a second chance. God goes, hey, you got 15, 15 more years. So I actually put in your notes. He had a near-death experience. That's a weird near-death experience, but it's a near-death experience because a prophet of God came and said, a few days and you're done. So he has a near-death experience, and when he prays, he pleads for an extension of life. God, who is the giver and sustainer of life, gives Hezekiah 15 more years. So he heard the prayers. Um, but I want you to look at how he uses it, and it's a problem. Um, Hezekiah had done good all these years, and then somehow he got arrogant in his last 15 years. Verse 12, soon after this, uh, Merodach uh, Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah his best wishes as a gift, for he'd heard that Hezekiah had been sick. This is a fellow king. It's not a good king, by the way. He's a fellow king of Babylon, and uh, he sends Hezekiah's wishes. By the way, we're studying Jonah on Wednesday nights, and uh, the capital of Babylon at that time was Nineveh, so where the bad king is. Uh, Hezekiah received Babylon's envoys and showed them everything in his treasure house. Now, here's what Hezekiah does. He goes, hey, I'm, I'm not sick anymore. Thanks for sending your wishes. I'm not sick. Y'all come visit. Let me show you what I got. And so he invites the king of Babylon. Does that name ring a bell to any of you Bible teachers, Bible scholars? He invites the king of Assyria and Babylon into the palace, and he says, let me show you everything. Here are the, here's the treasure houses that I have. I'm reading from the New Living Standard. It says, the silver and the gold, the spices and the aromatic oils. He also took them to see his armory and to show them everything in his royal treasury. There was nothing in his palace or kingdom that he did not show them. So he shows them all of his wealth. He just puts it on display for these foreign kings. And then Isaiah shows back up at his doorstep and goes, uh, Hey, uh, who were those guys and what did they want? Where did those men that just went through the palace come from? Because, I mean, you know, they're kingly guys. They look like kings. they got armies and secret service with them. They're, they're walking through the palace. And Isaiah's seeing all that happen and going, What is going on here? So he goes, who are those people? Where did they come from? So Hezekiah says, they came from the distant land of Babylon. He's just as dumb as he can be here. Um, Isaiah says, what did they see in your palace? They saw everything. I showed them everything I own. Really? Everything I own. All my royal treasures. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, listen to this message from the Lord. The time is coming when everything in your palace, all the treasures stored up by your ancestors until now, will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Some of your very own sons will be taken away into exile. They'll become eunuchs who will serve in the palace of the Babylonian king. Whoa. Now here's the deal. Hezekiah had a true good heart for all those years. He has the near-death experience. He prays and God blesses him and gives him 15 more years. And somewhere in all that process of getting that second chance, it became uh, a measure of pride for him of all that he had and all that he had done. And instead of him showing the Babylonian king, look what God does when you follow him. Look what God's given our nation. The storehouses don't belong to the king, by the way. belong to the people. But look what God's given me. Do you hear Hezekiah just take all this credit for it? Here's where the problem comes in in verse 14, though, the key problem. Um, he says they came from a distant land. Uh, and then verse 15, he says, um, 
What did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace. There is nothing among my treasures that they did not see. Hezekiah's treasures, think about this word, Hezekiah's treasures were silver and gold and all these expensive oils that he had collected and all these weapons in his armory, his military armory, all this, you know, thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of swords and bows and arrows and spears and shields and all that stuff. That was his treasure. He's the king of Israel who's been faithful to God all his life. He's the king of Israel who's been faithful to God all his life. He's nearly died, and he gives a second chance, and his treasures become his stuff. His treasures become the shiny, pretty stuff that kings have. His treasures were not his relationship with God. By the way, did any of his treasures answer his prayer for healing when he prayed for healing? Was, it his tre- was he healed because he had a bunch of silver? Did he, did he use a lot of his wealth to buy doctors to get that healing? No. You know what Hezekiah did? He turned to the God that he trusted. And he prayed. And God, his greatest treasure, if you were going to show people your treasure, he should have walked them right up to the temple and said, Guys, here's our greatest treasure. It's our relationship with Jehovah God, Almighty God. That's where Hezekiah went wrong. And so lesson number two. People who have been given second chances need to value God's personal love and answered prayer more than bounty and blessings. And when God gives us bounty and blessings, a lot of times we celebrate that. And it's fine to celebrate it. It's it's fine to honor God with that. But when you have a lot of good stuff in your life, you don't need to brag on that about you. You need to brag on it with God. And according to what Hezekiah says to Isaiah, he wasn't even giving God credit. I showed them all of my treasures. That's what it says. I didn't show them God's work. And who brought all that stuff to him? God. Who, who built up those storehouses? God. Who did Hezekiah give credit to himself? He gave its credit to himself. And so one of the most dangerous things that can happen when people get a second chance is that they turn it into a matter of pride and folly. And it damages. It damages a lot of things. By the way, it's going to damage the next generation. Those of you that know a little bit about the history of Israel... One of the worst captivities that ever happened to Israel was the nation of Babylon. Who did he just let walk right through the doors and show off all the fancy, cool stuff? Look, if you capture us, you can have all this stuff. That's what he's really doing. And the prophecy that comes from Isaiah back to Hezekiah is, you know, your sons are going to see that captivity. Your sons are going to see all this stuff go away. Um, That's sad to me that that he... Hezekiah was so short-sighted and so arrogant that, that none of that was even in his brain to think about. And he really has a problem with not valuing the greatest treasure he has. The greatest treasure he has. You know what your greatest treasure is? If all of us went home today and our houses, all of our houses at one time just burned to the ground, there would be a lot of incredibly valuable things in our home that we would lose. Not that we have wealthy things, but the pictures and all the stuff that we value about our family and our our heritage that's there, you know, that would grieve us a lot. But you know what the greatest treasure that my family has? My family knows the Lord Jesus Christ as a personal Savior. And He's our friend. We sang and He's our healer, our redeemer, and our friend. And He's going to help us through all of this. 
And so when, when people ask you what's your most valuable thing and you know, what do you value the most, it really needs to be your, your personal relationship with God. Hezekiah clearly had one of those, and he clearly had this amazing answer to prayer. Um, now the next story is the story of uh, Hezekiah's son, and he gives us some lessons as well. Hezekiah is good king to bad king. He was good for a long time, and then the second chance really distorted his life, and he used it improperly. Manasseh, his son, is going to be exactly opposite. Horribly bad king to good king. So let me read you from Second Chronicles 33. If you'll t- turn there in your Bible, you can underline some of this stuff that just tells how bad he is. It's not hard to get it, though. In Second Chronicles 33, if you were in the Kings, you can move to Chronicles as next. <laughs> Manasseh was 12 years old. When he became king and reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. So he's 12, and he's going to have a 55-year reign. And he is the son, by the way, of Hezekiah. (laughs) Here's the next phrase, and this is several kings get this, but Manasseh really gets it. (laughs) He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the pagan nations that the Lord had driven from the land ahead of Israel. Now listen to what he did. His father got Israel to follow the practices of the book, the Old Testament, the, the books of the law. His father got Israel back on track. Manasseh, listen to what he's doing. He got the nations to follow the detestable practices of pagan nations that the Lord had driven out of the land ahead of Israel. So Manasseh went and rounded up all the bad theology, all the bad stuff, and brought that back into Israel. All the bad pagan gods. Listen to what it says, verse 3. He rebuilt the pagan shrines his father Hezekiah had broken down. He constructed altars for the images of Baal, which is, by the way, Baal uses child sacrifices um, in their worship. He set up the Asherah poles. He bowed down before the powers of the heaven and worshipped them. He built pagan altars in the temple of the Lord. Now you want to talk about violating some Old Testament stuff. You know, you build a temple outside on the hills of Jerusalem on some little hilltop and say, hey, this is our, you know, if you guys want to worship here at this temple, the Asherah, we're going to worship in God's temple. You get a choice. That is not what Manasseh did. He went in the temple. This is the temple Solomon had built. Uh, David laid out the plans for it, and Solomon had built this magnificently beautiful structure. He went into that deal and put, set up uh, an altar there. It's in the temple that, where it says, my, my name will remain in Jerusalem forever. He built these altars all for the powers of the heaven in both courtyards of the Lord's temple. Manasseh, verse 6, listen to this. Manasseh sacrificed his own sons in the fire of the valley of Behinnom, which is the ba- practice of Baal worship. He practiced sorcery, divination, and witchcraft, and he consulted with mediums and psychics. He did much that was evil in the Lord's sight. I like this arousing his anger. Well, no kidding. You know, God's about had enough of this guy. He's doing the worst of the worst. And he's just dredged up every bad practice you could imagine. Verse 7, Manasseh even took a carved idol he had made and set it up in God's temple. He carved an idol for himself and set it up in God's temple. The very place where God had told David and his son Solomon, my name will be honored forever in this temple and in Jerusalem, the city I have chosen from among the tribes of Israel. Here's an Old Testament a promise. In the, <laughs> if the Israelites will be careful to obey my commandments, all the laws, decrees, and regulations given to Moses, I will not send them into exile from this land that I set aside for your ancestors. 
But Manasseh had led the people of Judah and Jerusalem to do this. Even more, listen to this, even more evil than the pagan nations that the Lord had destroyed when the people of Israel had entered the land. So Manasseh is not just a bad king. It actually says he's more evil than the pagan nation kings. I mean, he is just evil, 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 corrupt. Verse 10, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they ignored all his warnings. Some of our prophets in the, New Te- in the Old Testament are, are focused around that time. And they ignored all the warnings. So, story being short here, so the Lord sent the commanders of the Assyrian armies, that would be the ones his dad led in the door, by the way, and they took Manasseh prisoner. They put a ring through his nose, that sounds comfortable, and they bound him in bronze chains and led him away to Babylon. Okay, so, so Manasseh is in deep trouble now. He's, he's violated everything you can imagine about God for years and years and years of his, minist- of his kingship. And then God said, I made a, a promise to the, through the prophets that if you do this, I'm going to have you captured by Babylon and Assyria. And here they come. They sweep in. They take him away. Verse 12. But while in deep distress, imagine that, ring in your nose, bound and captured in chains and in prison in a foreign land, Manasseh sought the Lord his God and sincerely, this is very important, sincerely humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. He sincerely humbled himself. And when he prayed, the Lord listened to him and he was moved by his request. Remember lesson one from today? God hears the humble prayers of people who need second chances. He does. Now, Manasseh had done some horrible, horrible things. He sacrificed his son in a fire sacrifice to Baal. He took his baby and, and had him burned in a sacrifice. Manasseh um, set up pagan god altars in the temple of Jerusalem. He practiced witchcraft and sorcery, and God heard and answered his prayer. He sincerely humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. Verse 13, and when he prayed, the Lord listened to him, was moved by his request. So the Lord brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom, and Manasseh finally realized, listen to this, that the Lord alone is God. That the Lord alone is God. So one of the most important lessons you gain from this is real simple. In his distress, he sought favor of the Lord, and he humbled himself. And you, and you just see crystal clear um, when you're given a second chance, it reveals God. When you're given a second chance, it reveals God. Manasseh led the people back to Jerusalem. Uh, uh, God led Manasseh um, to Jerusalem, back to Jerusalem, and he realized God was God. And so at that moment, there's this grace that just shows up in his life. It's, when we sang about this is amazing grace. When you think about who Manasseh is, and that God just went, well, so you're humbly praying sincerely to me after all you've done against me? You're humbly praying? God said, well, I'll hear that prayer. I'll even answer that prayer. I'll even bless you now. And he turns his whole life and ministry around. He, he goes back to Jerusalem, and there's this massive amount of grace, grace, grace that shows up. I wrote in my Bible. I try to write every time I see it in my Bible. But I wrote grace in the side margin right here in, uh, in chapter 33. I wrote grace. Second chances reveal God. That's why you and I are supposed to tell people about our second chances. That's why I wanted some of you to get it on testimony for me. This is how God's given me another chance in life. God's given me a second chance, and it reveals God to me. It shows me that God's here, and He cares. 
It helps sinners, by the way, see that. We have to testify because it shows God off. This gives second, um, they give second chance, God gives us second chances to highlight himself in our life. You know, we were created for God's glory, right? You were created not for your own, but you were created for God's glory. So when he gives you another chance, you know what he wants you to do? Show off his glory. Show off his glory. That's exactly what Manasseh figured out. When he gave Hezekiah, his father, a second chance, who had already seen God's glory and experienced God's glory, Hezekiah started showing off his own glory and making it about him. Manasseh started off on all the wrong foot, did all the wrong things. Manasseh got a second chance, and he is going to show off God's glory now. And so, second chances, lesson four, second chances give us a chance to change in life. It says in the rest of the story that Hezekiah got rid of all the idols throughout all of Israel. He restored, like his father, he restored all of the right worship back to Israel. If you just read the rest of the story, it says he restored all of the worship um, back to Israel. And he made it right. Manasseh turned back to God to serve him fully. When his father got a second chance, he became self-centered. When Manasseh got a second chance, he became God-centered. And unlike his father, he used his second chance to bring others back to God because Manasseh's position as king was to tell people how we're going to do worship. For a long time, it was we're going to worship these pagan gods. We're going to, we're going to uh, offer sacrifices to pagan gods. We're going to do witchcraft. We're going to do sorcery. We're going to do child sacrifices. Now, he's, he's been led away by a ring in his nose. He's been humbled by God. He's prayed to God, and his second chance, he goes, we're not doing that anymore at all. We're going to turn to the real, true God. Your second chance is designed to help people serve God fully. You can use your second and third and fourth chances to testify of God. So I just want to ask you as we close this morning, how are you using the chances that God's given you in life? God's given all of us more than one chance. And how are you using that in your life? How are you using God and God's gifts to you? How are you using the life God's given you to, to honor and glorify Him? It's the call of every one of our lives in here. Amen. Let's bow our heads together.